Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. This week on the Dover Download Podcast, we are starting a new series looking at policies and policy makers and the decisions they made in the various decades leading up to the 2020s. Today, we're going to start in the 1970s with the venerable Jack Buckley. Jack was the former mayor of the city of Dover, as well as multiple other hats that he's worn over the years, and he has had a lasting impact on the community. Jack, welcome. Chris, it's nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. If you want to walk the listener through a quick overview of your many roles, accomplishments, whatever you're willing to tell us. Well, I'm not sure if there's many accomplishments, though, but uh, I would like to preface my remarks by saying my recollection of what happened in the 70s may not be, it's a long time ago, uh, so it may not be set in reality. Well, that'll give this episode a new uh, twist. Yeah. Uh, and, and I should say, while we're talking about the 70s, which is when you were on the council. and, and yep. uh, I was also the Youth Resources Director you know, in 1972, I believe it was, a new position that the city created to uh, help stem uh, the drug problem in Dover. So that's an a- aspect that we can talk about as well. I guess my, my preface here is that while we're looking at those times when you were a policymaker in that role, certainly part of what we want to talk about today is the lasting impacts or some of the, you look back and say, if we'd done it a little differently, maybe this outcome would have occurred, or if we hadn't done something, this outcome would have occurred. So let's start in 1972. You're a... Youth Resources Director. The position is no longer there. It uh, it lasted about five or six years, and then the funding uh, expired. And was it state funding, federal funding, or It was funding, funding by the Governor's Commission on Crime and Delinquency. So is it essentially similar to a, a welfare position, or was it a no, police and it was some, position? Um, a position that was created to unite a lot of the social service agencies, get them working together. Uh, there was some feeling that everybody was operating on their own, they weren't communicating, so the position was created to try and bring people together. And you had lived in Dover, correct? You- yeah, I grew up in Dover. Uh. Yeah, lived in Dover pretty much all my life. Grew up in the 70s where uh, the downtown was interesting in the 70s. Uh, You know, the early 70s, Chris, was, um, I I think the downtown was very healthy, a lot of activity, a lot of shops. And then uh, basically three things happened in uh, the 70s. One was the Urban Renewal Project, you know, ended up destroying a lot of the houses, uh, you know, the old buildings in the downtown area, especially along Washington Street. And the malls had a tremendous impact on what was happening in the downtown. Some of the small shops couldn't survive. And then the third thing was the uh, reconstruction of the Central Avenue Bridge, which made it difficult for people to get to the downtown. So those three, uh, those three uh, issues had a tremendous impact on the vibrancy of the downtown. But in spite of all those obstacles, uh, the downtown has, uh, has thrived. Let's talk about your getting involved in the council. Was it a, I'm really interested in politics. I want to transition from a staff member to policymaker? Was it a, hey, we need a warm body and Jack's a good warm body? What was the impetus for that? There were two issues that prompted me to run for the city council. One was the issue that I just mentioned when I was the youth resources director. Uh, We put together um, 
a group of social service agencies that wanted to relocate into the uh, Old Stratford County Courthouse. The city could have purchased that for no money back uh, then, and all these agencies got together, similar to what we've done with the McConnell Center. All these agencies were going to move into the courthouse. We go before the city council and for a vote, and it loses on a five to four vote. The fifth vote against the city uh, buying it, the city council person said that it was a white elephant, that we ought not to buy it. And about two or three weeks later, that same person turned around and bought the courthouse. Um, there was no conflict of interest ordinance. There was no code of ethics at the time. So one of my uh, first resolutions on the city council was to sponsor a resolution to create a code of ethics, uh, prohibit people from uh, voting on something that they had a financial interest in greater than the uh, average person. You know, it's crazy to think back that that had to happen, that that was not a understood thing. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely. And the second issue that prompted me to run for the city council was that I was involved with a small group of people uh, trying to save three or four of the buildings in the downtown that were slated for demolition by the Dover Housing Authority. Ironically, I became the executive director many years later, but a lot of Dover's history, a lot of Dover's uh, architectural uh, buildings were slated for demolition. In particular, the firehouse uh, restaurant, the firehouse, um, the old firehouse, which is now Amber's restaurant, On the Trell House, the O'Neill House, all those buildings were slated for demolition. We got together, that small group, we went to Foster's, we got editorial support for Foster's, and uh, then I got elected to the city council, and actually I think my first resolution that I sponsored was to stop the housing authority from tearing down those buildings, and I think it passed on a six to three vote. For the listener who might not have the, the historic knowledge, the area of urban renewal that you're talking about is, is where the Orchard Street parking garage and the police station is in the parking lot. That was all a tannery and multiple buildings. Sure. And were there residents back there or was it most? Oh, there were residents home? back there as well, and many of those residents were displaced. So at the time, would you say it was dilapidated or was it just an easy area to take control of? Well, we had the, ta- the factory, uh, the tannery in the downtown area. Uh, uh, that prompted uh, people calling us, uh, you know, uh, as Portsmouth by the sea and, and Dover by the smell. But we had a lot of run-down old buildings that, frankly, needed to be torn down. But again, some of like the ones I just mentioned. Uh, yeah. Not everything was in the back. Yeah, yeah, no, they were in good shape, and they were obviously they're in good shape today, and they're an important part of the downtown. So at the time, you had a different flavor, I would say, to downtown, is my guess. Looking at pictures, looking oh, yeah. at, at that conversation, it was a, as you say, the, there was a, a different sort of vibrancy than we would see today. Just the economy in general was different. Yes. Um, like I said, in the early 70s, the, uh, the downtown was vibrant, but then things happened and we lost that vibrancy. I, I was told once that if we hadn't torn down the tannery and some of those buildings, and created the Orchard Street parking lot, then there wouldn't have been enough parking to sustain the businesses on Central that thrived ongoing from there. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I, I think a lot of what urban renewal has done for the city was positive. You know, it resulted in eventually the uh, the parking garage being built. We obviously needed more parking in the downtown. Uh, 
you know, it uh, created more uh, potential for new development, new commercial spaces, uh, you know, residential units in the downtown, which uh, would definitely needed. If you want to have an active, vibrant downtown, you need parking, uh, but you need people living in the downtown as well that will shop in the downtown. And you need storefronts in the downtown, which we've now started to create with the uh, 2B's restaurant, the office lounge, and some of the new buildings that are coming online. So looking back at that time, what was the makeup of the council? What what sort of characters, as it were? Well, I had a very contentious city council. Uh, back then, uh, the city council was they elected its mayor by uh, among its members. Uh, we weren't popularly elected. Back in the 70s, I think there were five uh, uh, mayors, including myself. John McGlarris, uh, the uncle of George McGlarris, the former mayor also, and the county commissioner, Mike White who died in office, Jerry Sylvester, Dover's first female uh, mayor, Henry Smith. Uh, Henry went on to become uh, Assistant Deputy Commissioner of Education under the Clinton administration. But my council was very contentious. We had five people, uh, five members of the city council out of the nine that did not even support the council manager form of government. They supported the strong mayor form of government. So we for, two, uh, for those two years that I was mayor, we, we fought, uh, we got some things accomplished. Frankly, one of the most important things I think we were able to accomplish is hire Bob Steele as our city manager. Bob, I think, was one of the best city managers that Dover has ever had. You know, it's interesting. You look back and there are some cycles where you had a lot of turnover in that role and then some stability for a number of years. And Bob was one of those stability. He was yeah. the manager from what, 77 to 85? I believe so, yes, there. yeah. And like I said, did a remarkable job. And then you had some turnover again. After we had some acting uh, city managers. Uh, Charlie Reynolds was the acting city manager. I think George Kay was too. George was assistant superintendent of uh, schools and became an acting city manager for a short while. We had another uh, person, a former FBI agent, uh, Larry Keenan, um, that was uh, there uh, for a short period of time as well. So Bob comes in, you're the mayor at that point? I was. I hired him. Um, interesting, we uh, we tried something different when we were looking to hire a city manager. We uh, I took the city council, we rented a, uh, a van, and I brought the entire city council up to Scarborough, Maine. Bob was the uh, town manager in Scarborough, Maine, and nobody knew we were coming. I just told people, let's just walk the streets, uh, talk to the merchants, talk to people, see what they think about uh, Bob Steele. And to a person, uh, it was all positive. Um, and that was the thing I think that impressed me most about Bob Steele and why he was the perfect person to come to Dover. You're the mayor. You've hired this new manager. You're, you're putting policies in place. How long did you stay on the council? I was on the council for four years. I was elected in 1975, chosen as mayor in 1977, and then I went to work for the Housing Authority uh, in 1979. So if you hadn't created the ordinance for ethics, you probably could have stayed on the council. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> Looking back, are there policies or there things that the council legislated on, worked on, that you think were impactful now, 50 years later? Good question. Um, well, I was also on one of the charter uh, uh, commissions, and one of the things that I kept pushing for and were able to get is the staggered terms. And I think if I had to admit to making a mistake, it was pushing for staggered terms. They just didn't work. 
you know, the, the turnout was much lower because you weren't voting for a full slate of people. Yeah. And it was something I thought was necessary to uh, keep continuity going. Again, it was a failure, and uh, I regret having done that. Uh, but we tried it, and again, it didn't work. So in that case, you would the council at that time vote for a new mayor every year because the makeup of the council would change? No. Uh, in staggered terms, it did. Once that was implemented yeah. back in, that was in the 80s. Okay. And so we had for uh, two or three years, a new mayor was selected every year. We had people like Mike Landry and uh, I believe Patty Tor was a one year. Uh, Charlie Reynolds uh, was mayor for a year. And I also think uh, Rennie Perry was as well. You have this council. They hire a manager. You set a tone. You're looking back, in some ways, it's a very pivotal time because, as you say, the economy was changing nationally. The economy was in a place. How about socially? What sort of social or cultural things were the council dealing with at that time? You're asking me to go back 50-some-odd years, and uh, I can barely remember uh, my term. I was uh, in my 20s. I'm now in my 70s. Again, I don't believe our council was able to accomplish a lot because of the division yeah. uh, on the city council. Uh, that was my regret. We were unable to get a majority of uh, people that supported the manager form of government so that we could keep Dover moving forward. During that time when I was on the city council, there was a move to uh, have a referendum on going back to uh, the strong mayor form of government. And I was the first uh, city councilor to come out, or first candidate, rather, for the city council to come out in opposition to going back to the strong mayor form of government. So you say that after you were on the council, you became the director of the housing authority. How long were you in that role? Uh, I was hired in 1979, and I stayed with the housing authority until 2000, maybe 10. That role is an interesting role in that you can really make of it what you want depending on the board of directors and how they support various activities. My opinion, I'm not saying... Oh, no, it's absolutely true. I had a a wonderful board of commissioners for just about all the time that I was at the uh, the DHA, and they let me do pretty much what I wanted to do with, obviously, with, you know, some, um, you know, checking around, but... uh, uh, I think it was a very progressive board of commissioners and uh, people like Frank Tor, a uh, longtime chairman of the Housing Authority, uh, you know, John Guy, John McCooey, great people on the city council, former city attorney, Alan Kranz. You know, the Frank Tor, unfortunately, is one of those people we had hoped to interview and now can't. But you're right, that that's someone like yourself who had a long career in public service and really gave back at a lot of different levels. And thinking about some of some of your impact, I think about how you could have been in a role at the Housing Authority and said, we are going to support the residents this way. We're going to look at cleaning up the Housing Authority. We're going to provide good housing. You looked at the community at large and said, how can we help the community support those in this, this need? And in my mind, it was a reciprocal arrangement where you, you've encouraged, or you encouraged, I suppose, since you're- When I uh, took over, Chris, the Housing Authority, it really was a crime and drug-infested community. Uh, when the police would show up to the Housing Authority, they would have to bring a backup cruiser to the cruiser that was investigating the issue. Uh, the second cruiser would just watch the first cruiser so the uh, the tires wouldn't 
uh, get slashed on the mm-hmm. cruiser. Uh, it's a really tough time. We ended up uh, putting a in- undercover police officer into one of our units, posing as a resident. I uh, stayed there for three months, and we ended up having a major drug bust. And I believe around 54 people, not all necessarily in the housing authority, 54 people were arrested. Um, and I think we did a, a credible job um, cleaning up the housing authority. But then after a short period of time, uh, the drug problem started coming back, and we ended up uh, hiring two police officers uh, full-time at the housing authority just to keep the pressure on people to keep drugs out of our community. We got the residents involved. We uh, had resident-owned businesses. Uh, we made them feel a part of the housing authority. We gave them a say, encouraged the, uh, the resident councils to form and gave them a say in the uh, what was happening at the housing authority. And I think we had a very successful run. We had uh, numerous social service programs that weren't there. Um, uh, you know, we still have the Simo uh, Osmond Community Center that right. hosts a lot of different social service programs. Uh, we have uh, we were the first housing authority in the nation to be invited to run uh, their after-school programs in the school systems. We created Head Start programs uh, for our residents. So I, I, you know, I'm really proud of my my tenure at the housing authority. Uh, you absolutely should be, and I think a lot of those things that you just discussed similar to the ethics ordinance you created as a counselor are things that we now look back and say, that's of course what a housing authority should be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. All of those things are now standard, the pride and ownership, the being involved, the understanding and buying into the process as opposed to being just taken for a ride by the process. Outside of those roles, you've been involved in a variety of boards, committees, and commissions. You mentioned the McConnell Center. You're also on the parking commission. Uh, you were on the waterfront committee for a long time. You were really there. At, at one point, Chris, I counted that I was on 15 various boards and committees and commissions at the same time. Some never met. I was on the licensing board of the city, and we met maybe once every two years. But some were meeting meet, uh, weekly, and I told my wife that uh, I needed to stop doing that. Every night of the week, I was doing something. But I think you know much of what uh, I was involved in was necessary. It was uh, things that needed to happen, and uh, Dover is my home. I'm proud of living in uh, Dover, proud of the role that I played in making Dover a better community. Dover is a thriving community. I'm so excited about what's happening here. And a lot of the credit it goes to you, Chris, for what you've been doing in Dover, uh, the new residential uh, buildings in the downtown more commercial space. Uh, you're, you know, and you know, you, you show up at all of your parking commission meetings and give us guidance to what needs to be done. That was uh, a city on the move. You know, we've been very lucky. I think it's a community to have policymakers such as yourself and others that are able to think beyond their nose, be able to think about large impacts. And uh, I think between the skills that the staff has been able to, to generate and bring to the table and the rapport and trust that those council members and other policymakers have begun to have, or not begun, but at this point really have in uh, the city leadership on the policy side and the administrative side, there's nothing that we can't be accomplishing right now. That's right. There's and I think so the waterfront is, is going to be just uh, a tremendous asset. Yeah. Once that's uh, finally completed, people have said that it's not going to happen ever. Uh, I think that's not true. I, th- uh, I think we're really on the uh, – it'll be done within five years, I believe. I, I agree with you. I, I was down there recently, and it's even so transformational in the past couple months I know. that everything has happened. And it's interesting having – uh, worked down there in the public works building uh, in the late 90s 
and you go down there and it's just so different. And uh, one of the things that I, I think we really did the right move on under Quiddick's leadership is recognizing climate change and recognizing that we need to uh, raise the elevation level to accommodate for that so that the buildings and investment the private sector makes aren't put in danger. And you can see that right now by, by driving down there and seeing the manholes that are four feet out of the ground, which will be one foot underground right. uh, once they are uh, completed. And, and all of that, I think, is a testament to work that really began in the late 70s, looking at the waterfront, sure. looking at, I remember reading the, um, the river diversion study. Someone had proposed essentially filling in the river, uh, the, the Chico River in front of Henry Law Park and around sure. uh, the Clarisat Mill, one Washington, and all of those sort of ideas get people involved, get people invested. Yeah. So. Again, that's something that I'm proud of my role in uh, creating Quiddick. Um, you know, for the longest time, um, uh, the waterfront was stagnant. Nothing was happening. Every two years, they'd have to um, uh, address the new issue with new city council people, and they would start from scratch. And I went to uh, the, the mayor at the time, Scott Myers, and the city manager, and I said, it really makes no sense to, to have the city council managing this program, that you ought to really turn it over to the housing authority. We'll create this uh, committee of citizens involved in the waterfront and uh, get this thing passed and get this thing uh, completed, and I think that's uh, it's been a slow process, uh, but it certainly would be uh, was is much faster than if the city council had to deal with this issue from start every two years. In some ways, I agree it's been a slow process, but on the other hand, things take time. I think things take time. Yeah, the, the we had downturns in the there. economy. Uh, you know, I think that we had a developer lined up, Mark Dickinson, and things happened, and he just couldn't make the you know, numbers work because of the the economy. Uh, but now we've got a, another wonderful developer, a cathartist, um, that will do a great job. And Quiddick, I think, is still playing a vital role. I know you're no longer on it, but the, the, uh, the committee itself still playing a vital role, making sure that the public's yeah. position and the public's viewpoint is maintained and that the development that occurs is in line with those visions sure. that have been created. Yeah, I'm, uh, I think the the people that have served on Quiddick over the years have been just top-notch people that care about uh, the city, care about the development of the waterfront, and have done a remarkable job. Totally agree. Totally agree. As we look back and we, we wrap up, do you miss it? Do you wish that you were, would you run again? Would you get back on? My wife told me if I ever ran for the city council uh, or ran for office, uh, she would divorce me, and uh, they don't want to get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even know how you respond to that, because <laughs> I don't want Sharon to get mad at me. Um <laughs> So, if you're not going to run again, which is fair, um, how do you stay engaged? How do you encourage other people to be engaged in a civic level? Well, I, I, I'm on the lookout for what I consider talent in the community, and I think I've mentioned somebody to you that I thought would be a wonderful person to get involved in city government. I think he's going to apply for a couple positions. Um, you know, I still have... Um, you know, my hand in local politics to some degree. Yeah, I look at you as a talent scout, like a baseball scout <laughs> that's out there. You see people that you're on various committees with or that you engage with in the community. And you're right, you, you do put them in touch. Uh, and I think that uh, having that perspective and being able to say to someone, this is what you're getting involved with. This is how you can contribute. This is how you can help. And having people be able to understand that there is commitment 
And if they can't make that commitment, don't call. That's right. You know, I um, I chuckle when people talk about returning Dover to the good old days. I'm not sure what the good old days were when we had uh, smelly downtown, when we had dilapidated buildings. You know, uh, Dover has thrived. Uh, you know, we've uh, survived a pandemic. Other communities have lost their downtown uh, during the pandemic. We've survived floods, fires, uh, urban renewal. We continue to grow. We continue to try to thrive, and I'm so proud of Dover for uh, being able to do that. As we wrap up, are there any things you want to make sure we cover, or is there anything you want to make sure the listener hears? No, Dover's come a long way since uh, the 70s. Uh, we've done a great job in creating a, a vibrant downtown. We've created many more units uh, in the downtown. Again, uh, you've been very involved in that. People who live in the downtown are obviously going to shop in the downtown. We've created more parking with a parking garage. We've created more uh, commercial space in the downtown. Again, the Waterfront Project is off and running. The Children's Museum brings in well over close to 100,000 people a year. So I'm proud of Dover. I'm proud to call Dover my home, and I'm going to continue to live in Dover, um, hopefully for the rest of my life. Well, thank you very much for being with us today, and congratulations. I, I truly mean it. You, you've inspired me in a lot of ways. Oh, my gosh. I think you, uh, no, I think that you, I was joking before when we started, I called you the venerable Jack Buckley. <laughs> I think that's a an apt term that well, thank you, you have contributed in a non-selfish way to many things that have occurred over the past 50 years that people all recognize, and it's... Uh, it's a great thing to have people like yourself and, and others in this community that selfishly give and contribute. Well, you can do my eulogy at my funeral. Okay. <laughs> That's why I can't get Sharon mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chris. You're very welcome. Enjoy the day. Thank you. You also. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. After the election of James Buchanan as president in November 1856, Dover Democrats were jubilant. They began to plan a large celebration to be held atop Garrison Hill, Dover's highest point, and a popular spot for special events. Wanting to distinguish their celebration from others, local Democrats formed a celebration committee and arranged for the purchase of a cannon, which had been captured from the British in the War of 1812. Since its capture, the cannon had been stored at the Portsmouth shipyard. The cannon was loaded onto a gunlow at the shipyard and ferried to Dover along the Piscataqua and Cachico rivers. Once on shore in Dover, it was hauled to Garrison Hill by a team of oxen. The cannon would be a centerpiece for the celebration, which would also include a bonfire, speeches, and fireworks. Two local shoemakers, George Clark and John Foss, were assigned the honors of firing the cannon during the salute. Prior to the start of the celebration, Clark and Foss, along with the local youth tasked with tending to the cannon's vent, tested the cannon. It worked perfectly. On November 19, 1856, when the celebration was finally in full swing, revelers assembled for the salute. Clark and Foss loaded a cartridge into the cannon to prepare for the blast when, unexpectedly, the cannon fired prematurely, knocking Foss through the air and down the hill. He was killed instantly. Clark was knocked down with great force and lay unconscious. He was taken to a nearby house and was revived for a short time. He complained of a freezing sensation in his feet and was given warm water and a good prognosis. However, within a matter of hours, he had also died. The tragedy ended the celebration and, according to the Boston Traveler newspaper, quote, 
caused a general gloom to rest over the place. The cannon would remain at Garrison Hill, but wasn't fired again until 1875, when it was discharged to honor the Battle of Bunker Hill and Dover's July 4th centennial celebration atop the hill. The cannon wouldn't be fired again after that, but did remain on Garrison Hill for decades. But after repeated vandalism to the cannon, including being pelted with rocks for years, the cannon was moved to the Woodman Museum, where it can be seen today on the museum campus, just outside the damn Garrison house. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Downloads email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week.